Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you for tuning in. I don't know if this is the first time you've ever listened to this little podcast or if this is episode number 405 for you. Actually, I don't think anybody's listened to all 405 episodes, but uh, I love it when new people come to the show because there is such a wild amount of back episodes that you can go and listen to. So if you're new to the show, there is 404 other episodes you can go back and check on or just keep coming back every Tuesday and Thursday. I started this show with the idea of bringing a variety of people who are really smart and really successful because what I've found in my own career is success leaves clues. And since we probably couldn't go and have a beer with all 400 plus people that I have interviewed, The reality is we can put in our headphones and listen to their advice and grow from it. And today is going to be no different. But before I get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So many of you offer products to your fans and your customers. But dealing with that physical stuff, that can be a pain. And having to go to the post office to mail it, no way. That steals your precious time. But my friends at Amplifier, they blend order fulfillment screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you control. And I know, because I'm working with them, some of you have won those uh, Try New Things shirts, and uh, they're doing the screen printing for me on that, and they are great to work for. They can even integrate with your e-commerce shop and help you drive any customer giveaway campaigns that you want to run. They're great for big internet powerhouse companies, as well as entrepreneurs who are just starting out. And on-demand means no inventory risk. But as you grow, you can stock up on inventory, and Amplifier will handle it all for you. Go to amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. Hey, speaking of today, today we're going smart. We're talking to somebody who teaches at the business school at the University of Texas at Austin. He teaches... uh, uh, law, business law in there. He uh, went to under his undergrad there. He got his law degree at the University of Southern California. He also works at a local company here in Austin called Abraxas Technology. And I ran into one of his coworkers recently at an event where I was one of the speakers. And I said, yes, I have to meet this guy. I have to get him on the show because he's exactly the type of person I want to talk to. So Brad Gold, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks, Tom. Uh, that is a, an overly nice introduction. I really appreciate that. And now I'm already struggling because I've got hundreds of podcasts to listen to. I've got an interesting sponsor's website I got to go check out, but we have to talk now for the next <laughs> half an hour or so. So I guess I got to stay focused, which is always an issue as an entrepreneur. That's exactly right. It's very hard for us to pay attention to each other when there's so many cool things going out there in the world. But definitely uh, go check out the past shows and uh, go check out Amplifier because they're pretty awesome. But Brad, I don't read long bios about people. And if I read yours, we'd be here for the whole half hour just going through all the smart (laughs) things that you've done. So why don't you tell everybody who is Brad Gold and and what do you do? Well, um, I am an entrepreneur that has worked to create my own career ecosystem. And this has sounded strange to a lot of people for a long time, but here in Austin, it is embraced and I am supported and I absolutely love what I get a chance to do every day. So my actual job title and 
who it is that I'm working with will change on a day-to-day basis. A couple days a week, I'm here on campus working with um, high school students, undergraduate students, and graduate students in a variety of different programs, teaching them principles of entrepreneurship, business law, business ethics, as well as financial compliance and financial transactions. And while I teach this stuff in the classroom, I also get to be an entrepreneur that is co-founding companies that puts this knowledge and education to work. I feel like if I'm going to be entrusted to stand in front of students and tell them the way the business world is supposed to work, it is also my responsibility to go into the business world and follow my own advice and actually see if this is working. That must be one of the reasons that uh, the University of Texas ranks so high. I know so many professors in the McCombs Business School who actually either do business, start businesses, advise businesses, or invest in businesses. And that must be one of the reasons that that you are, according to U.S. News & World Report, the number six undergrad business program in the country. Well, unfortunately, we're tied for that number six, but at least we're in good company with so, the fine folks over at Carnegie Mellon. So so Brad and I talked about this before. If you listen to the show, you know that I didn't go to Carnegie Mellon, but all my money does because my daughter is a senior in the Tepper School of Business there. And uh, uh, their tuition is a little higher than in-state tuition. I had lobbied for her to go to uh, University of Texas, but uh, she's getting a fine education at CMU. So uh, we were joking about that beforehand that... Uh, I wanted her to go be a Longhorn, and instead, she's a Tartan. <laughs> well, no matter what, either school, very hard to go wrong. Clearly, I'm partial to UT, having gone here as an undergrad, teaching here now as a member of the faculty. And uh, here's a fun random fact. If you're ever watching uh, the national championship game between Texas and USC and all of the crowd pans over and over again, I got super lucky and managed to um, score myself a student section ticket um, with the Texas students and ended up in the first row um, of the Coliseum to go watch that epic, fantastic game. But was that while you were an undergrad or was that after? Because maybe you were a little conflicted. (laughs) That was actually um, in my third year of law school. So so you you were torn between who should win the game. Was it your was it your undergrad alma mater or was it your law school people? It was it must have been it must have been just just hell inside. Um, inside, it certainly was a bit of a choice because, uh, I mean, I had a wonderful experience in Los Angeles and at USC and, you know, I had a lot of love for a lot of people out there. But at the end of the day, you got to make a choice. I wasn't going to show up to the stadium with one of those half outfits from both sides. So <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, a little, my- <laughs> that's a little hokey. My my uh, I had to make a choice that night watching it from my living room. My uh, <laughs> I live in Austin, so I'm a UT fan. But my dad and my brother both went to the University of Southern California. So Oh, they did? Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I instead chose uh, the Longhorns because you always go with the winner. Yep, absolutely. And I, I must have known that ahead of time because I dressed up in my burn orange, <laughs> made sure that I was there. And it was just, it was such a, a wonderful night. It was so much fun. But anyway, uh, I'm pretty sure this isn't a football podcast. I think we've got enough of those around Austin, so let's make sure we <laughs> so, stay focused on so entrepreneurship. Af- so let's look at after law school, did you go the traditional route? Did you go to a law firm? What did you do? No, I actually went a, a heavily non-traditional route, which to just be perfectly blunt, especially with the listeners out there wondering how to chart a career path. Everybody told me this was a bad idea. And for about 12 years, they were all right. 
because the traditional path leaving law school is that you go to get a job at a big firm, you collect a big paycheck, or maybe if you're interested in going the public interest route, you pursue that. But then that's the track that people go. And usually they stay there for seven to 10 years. And then later in their career, typically late 30s, is when they decide to step back and maybe try something else or go into an in-house type role. Well, and it's really hard. I actually was the marketing director for two M-Law 100 law firms, two big law firms. And a lot of people, when they get to their mid-30s, they've made partner. They're making these big salaries and they're miserable. They want to run from the law. They want to get out, but there's nowhere they can go and make $600,000 a year straight out of the game. And, you know, their families are expecting them to, to make that money. So a lot of lawyers get stuck if they go that path. Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm very thankful that I know a couple of lawyers who went that path that didn't get stuck. Um, one of them, as an example, one of my, my close friends, an amazing guy from USC Law School, his name is Brian Washington. Uh, we graduated in the same class and he took the path of going to work at a law firm, probably knowing that he was not going to stay there. He is a world-renowned, incredibly talented artist that focuses on uh, the civil rights movement, past, present, and future. And he left his law firm position several years ago to go pursue his art. And when he went to go do that, it was also a signal to me that even people who charted the more traditional path to achieve their life and professional goals can still get unstuck if you work hard enough and you have a good support network to go and do that. And I mean, that's just one of the foundational principles of entrepreneurship. No matter what it is we want to do and achieve in life and business, we have to be supported when we go to do that. So for the early years of my career, you know, I, I went straight to an in-house position um, working with a manufacturing company in Chicago where I had uh, a really good experience, very interesting experience because a lot of what I did was legal work, but I'm also working in a factory on the southwest side of Chicago. <laughs> and you can imagine maybe some of the fun and interesting challenges that that brought. And I got exposure to a lot of different businesses, lots of different situations, lots of interesting people. It also gave me the chance to spend a lot of time in a factory where I could, you know, pour myself for hours into contracts and legal work. But to get a break, I could grab some tools and go work on a machine or be in a factory environment, exercise the other part of my brain. And after I left that job, I kept looking for other jobs like it couldn't find it. And I realized that inside a big part of what I wanted to do and achieve was to simply help other people find this same career path that I have. I, I'm an unusual person because I'm a happy lawyer. I still practice law. <laughs> we should print shirts that say that. <laughs> it's, we'd, sell, I mean, we'd sell nine of them. Y yes. And, and I only know one other one, um, and he's out in California, but he was also one of my law professors at USC. And he was one of these people, his name is Doug Levinson. He's an awesome, awesome guy, great professor, interesting business person. And he was one of the people that really inspired me to say, I don't care what the legal profession, which is as um, compartmentalized and traditional as it gets, doesn't matter what the law school says, doesn't matter what the legal profession tells you to do. If you want a different type of legal career, go out and make it happen. And it's taken me over a decade to reach this point. But now what I do is at the end of the day, I am always helping and educating people. Sometimes it's the classroom. Sometimes it's my, my coworkers and teammates at Abraxas. Sometimes it's the other folks that I work with for an hour or two here or there, setting their businesses off in the right direction. And like I said a few minutes ago, the reason it's an ecosystem is that every time I teach something to somebody, I'm learning. Mm. 
every time that I try to apply a lesson with a client or, or with Abraxas or with any other companies, I get feedback, whether something works or doesn't. And then I get to share that with everybody else. And everybody that's in my business universe is aware of the fact that I work with all of these other people and that they both get the benefit of that aggregated knowledge base and also get to contribute to it. And it's really a lot of fun. See, I think that is, I think that's awesome. And you touched on something that is really, really important, I think, to the sort of entrepreneur sphere. And that is, you said you didn't go to law school and it took you really 12 years before it all started clicking. It's so often we look at someone like you or any of the other successful people that I've interviewed on the show over the last four years or anyone you meet anywhere and you think, wow, you know, I mean, looking at you, you're pretty young looking. People think, wow, he's an overnight success. And yet in reality, you know, the most successful entrepreneurs I know bounced around and often were told whatever their idea was, uh, that's kind of a bad idea. In, in my own career, uh, you know, when I decided I want to be a professional speaker, everyone laughed at me and they said, oh, what do you think you're Tony Robbins? And, you know, but I was a sales and marketing guy in a law firm for several years, two law firms for four or five years, uh, then in a bank and then a consulting firm. And when you're in that type of a role, in a sales or marketing role, you go to a lot of conferences. And I would literally sit in the audience and watch the speakers, and not the famous ones. I mean, we've all seen Colin Powell or whoever, but the people who had come out of business who are up there teaching and sharing. And I would literally sit there and say, she or he, they've got a better job than I do. And I would go up and talk to them later. It's like, how did you get to become a speaker or a trainer? You know, that's awesome. And some of them were like, go away, kid, you bother me. And some of them told me their story. And so everybody kind of laughed at me when I said I wanted to do it. But now that's all I've done for nine years. And even when I started this podcast, my mastermind group, I have a sort of a little board of directors. They all told me the podcast will distract you. It won't do anything to implement you know, your speaking career. Don't do it. And I did it anyway. And the joke that I have with them now is every time my podcast wins an award or it ended up on a list on Inc.com of the eight podcasts for entrepreneurs to listen to in 2018, they always send me notes. I'll get these handwritten notes that say, podcast is a bad idea. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, the people tell you it's a bad idea, but then they come back to you later and go, wow, you're a genius. So, so now that you're a genius to all your friends who told you to go straight to a law firm, you know, <laughs> what what advice do you have for other people who want to sort of self-create their own career? Because that's what I've done. Yeah. And I think that you've made a good choice. <laughs> I, I like talking to you. I like what you got going on here. And um, I, I also like that you've embraced this as an actual medium because, you know, so often with technology and with the way that we just shorthand everything these days, the ability to tell your story and to communicate that with people um, is incredibly valuable. And it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. And the answer to that, like the answer to your question and everything else, how did I get here? Working absolutely as hard as I can, as much as I possibly can. And that doesn't mean that I'm putting in 100-hour weeks every single week, and I have not been doing that for you know the last 13 years. But I can definitely tell you that over the last two years, since I reformed several elements of my career all at the same time, um, I am working absolutely seven days a week, at least 100 hours a week. And I have um, put some other things in my life on the back burner that I thought were really important and clearly turned out not to be. And it's a matter of prioritizing and having that support. I mean, part of the reason that I'm able to work so hard more than part of the reason is my, my wife 
in my family and the people that support me and understand what it is that I'm trying to accomplish. So I also don't have to do this alone because I don't have the energy to do all of this constantly every single day. So then it reverts back to who is in my life, who's supporting me. And because I, I don't get here without them. Um, I, I know that there's an old, an old tale and I'm totally going to butcher this now as I attempt to paraphrase it. But the idea that, you know, somebody becomes a king, somebody becomes a leader, a queen, you know, they, whoever they are, wherever they got to be is often actually the result of the people around them. Not that they had some innate characteristic or quality that made them a king or queen. It's that we become that way as a reflection of the people that we have around us. And what really motivated me to start doing more of this work was that around two years ago, um, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've been starting businesses since I was 16. And um, thank you for the compliment, by the way. Actually, yesterday was my birthday and I turned 38. So I think entrepreneurship <laughs> keeps you young. That and drinking he, lots and he, lots of good water. He, he looks about 27, so. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, so now, um, oh my gosh, I, I just completely forgot where we were going with this. <laughs> well, so I was, I was going to say that, you know, you talked about the fact that as you've sort of reinvented several parts of your life, part of it is, is that you've had to work really hard. And what I'm picking up on is your secret weapon seems to be your work ethic. You seem to be able to, when you have to, you seem to be able to ratchet that up and just go. Yes. Yes, that is absolutely true. It's the work ethic and the support. And so how I really brought those two together a couple of years ago, one is a very obvious reason and one is a reason that almost nobody ever discusses. Um, the obvious reason was that I, I found myself being invited to join some of the entrepreneurial communities here in Austin. And not every community in Austin is perfect, but a lot of them are wonderful. Um, and I'm so lucky and so thankful that the first community I was really invited to be a part of was the Div Inc. community. And Div Inc. runs an accelerator program that is designed to help accelerate female and minority-owned uh, entrepreneurial ventures. And um, the group of people that both run the organization and are a part of it on the mentorship side, as well as the cohort companies, all taught me so much and brought me into the entrepreneurial community with just open eyes, fresh perspectives, and this group of people that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to meet. I'm sure one of the things you love about your podcast is you get to meet all of these people. Like you said, we're coming from all corners, all places, and getting to do that with the group of Divink entrepreneurs. These are great people who maybe I would have met otherwise somehow in my life, but this organization brought us all together and made us very, very close, not just as business people, but as human beings. And I, like everybody, has some things in my life that I'm maybe not too happy about, you know, things that are rough pieces in my past. And as we grow and develop as business people and entrepreneurs, sometimes we worry about, you know, how might somebody think about me if they knew this or they knew that. But when you get into the right community that is supportive and you realize like everybody has something going on, everybody has something in their past. And then not only that, the idea of I'm going to ride the elevator up and then I'm going to send it back down and I'm going to bring as many people as I can with me every time I get to the ground floor. You put all that together and you have that awesome, supportive environment that allows entrepreneurs to really be successful. The second thing that nobody talks about is taking care of your body 
Eating good food, drinking clean water, making sure you have balance. This is this is the key. I can't even fathom putting a hundred hours in if I wasn't feeling well and I wasn't eating good food. In in my class at UT, I start business ethics in business law conversation in a place that nobody's expecting. And I talk about, did you get a good night's sleep last night? Because, you know, most people I would hope say, yeah, I got a good night's sleep last night. But, you know, a a significant minority of people says, uh, you know, the kids, the dog, the cat, my neighbors, whatever it was, you know, I didn't get great sleep last night. And we all know that if we haven't gotten good sleep the night before, well, maybe we're tired. Maybe we have a headache. Maybe we're just not feeling great. So what is the result of that? We make slightly worse decisions. Maybe we're not going out and murdering somebody, (laughs) but... Well, I At hope least not. I hope we're not. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's these incrementally bad decisions, like a lot of the kinds of decisions we see being made at companies like Facebook, you know, companies where people are engaging in some well-intentioned attempts to try to keep the company afloat, try to meet, um, you know, shareholder goals, try to take care of all the billions of users that they have. But ultimately, we still end up with these incrementally poor choices that add up to major, major problems for them and the company's executives. So how we stop that from happening at the most fundamental level is that we've got to start our days the right way. You have to eat good food. You got to get good sleep. You got to take care of yourself and, and, and make sure that you have that balance in your life. Otherwise, all this other work that we're doing just becomes wheel spinning. Well, absolutely. And, and what, you know, you and I've never met before, so you don't know this about me, but I lost 30 pounds two years ago and I don't think I could keep the schedule that I now keep and do all the different things that I'm doing. My, my motto from the time I turned 50 forward has been make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life, which means I have to say yes to more things because I'm one of these people who always found reasons not to do things. So I've always been kind of a city traveler. Well, now I go out hiking in the Greenbelt in Austin. I've been to Yosemite in the Grand Canyon. Uh, my daughter, who is a high school student, my younger daughter, after college, wants to hike the Appalachian Trail and has invited me to go with her. So this is six years away. But if you're going to take six months off and hike 20 miles a day for six months, you need about five or six years to prep for it. So I'm, I'm, you know, my friends who've known me growing up are like, uh, you're going to sleep in a tent for six months. That's not you. You know, you kind of like the Ritz Carlton. So, uh, you know, I'm doing that. I started doing stand-up comedy at 51 years old. Now I've done 26 open mic nights around the country and uh, went zip lining in uh, Pikes Peak and things I never would have done. And part of that is if I hadn't lost the 30 pounds, I wouldn't be able to do any of these things that I'm doing. So you're, you're onto something that's really important. And while it's not that we never talk about it, it is true we don't give it that priority that we really need to. Yeah, one of the ways I've been trying to, you know, I I like to be an entrepreneur in all areas of life. And the problem I've been having lately is that I've been taking so many meetings and I I do it, you know, early in the morning, starting with coffee meetings and late into the afternoon and evening with happy hours and dinners. But there is always a, a common theme and problem with all of these meetings, which is that I'm talking to another human being while we are sitting down and putting things into our body that maybe we wouldn't always put into our body. Well, in Austin, breakfast means breakfast tacos, and one is good, but three is bad. Yeah, and and look, don't get me wrong. I don't need more reasons to go get breakfast tacos, but I will always take them. And it's it's a lot of fun in this city to be able to go meet with people at all the wonderful you know restaurants and food trucks and coffee shops and all that. 
but my, my body was not super happy with that. And so actually about a month ago, um, I started reaching out to people that I was setting meetings with and just simply asking them, could we walk around the lake or walk on the green belt or actually move our bodies while we're talking and we can bring a notebook and bring a pen and we're going to meet and move at the same time. So I do that with people if they want to meet with me and pick my brain. I say, great, we're going to do it at seven in the morning or maybe eight, but early, early before it gets hot, if it's summertime, 730. And we're going to go into the green belt uh, down off of Spicewood. And then we can hike for an hour and talk. And then we end up back at the cars at Taco Deli on Spicewood. So I can still get my breakfast tacos, but we've walked for an hour. Outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. And, and now, I mean, obviously, we're, I enjoy this conversation and see how we ended up in not the same room, but, you know, technologically the same room. Um, and, and that's wonderful because there, there are, I guess, a few of us, which means in Austin, we're in the right place because we're thinking about this stuff a little bit differently. And we also have these wonderful critical masses of uh, strange and interesting people like us that try to keep figuring out ways to do things better and to improve ourselves and all the, the people around us. And so next time we're getting together, we're going to the green belt then. I'm, I'm, I'm totally on that. So what advice do you have for somebody who's listening to this, who has heard my story because they've listened to the show before and they're hearing your story for the first time and they're like, wait a minute, they've designed a career where there wasn't one. So as I mentioned, my daughter's a college student and she was at a party one time and she texted me that one of her friends, uh, she was like a sophomore, one of her friends who was a senior said, your dad, he'd met me once. Your dad's the most interesting person. And she, I thought she was kidding. I thought there was a punchline coming. And she said, why would you say that about my dad? And she goes, he's the only person I've ever met who invented his own job out of nothing. <laughs> and that was a couple of years ago. And I've always thought, you know, that that's kind of true. So that's what I've done. That's what you've done. That's what a lot of the people who've been on this show. So if a listener is thinking, wait a minute, I don't, I don't want to work where I am. I want to invent my own life. What would you tell them they have to do? Well, first of all, like we've been talking about, there's no shortcut around hard work. That, that, that has to be the common thread through any conversation. The next thing is I want to just address a myth that I think a lot of, uh, we'll say, pre-entrepreneurs have. A lot of the um, undergraduate and high school students I work with, I call them pre-entrepreneurs because many of them want to start businesses and create careers, but they don't even know that that's possible. They don't even know it's an option to go make their own job or make their own business. And one of the barriers to thinking that that's an option is people think that they have to be like Mark Zuckerberg, or they think that they have to be somebody who completely creates something new from scratch that is unique and totally different, and nobody else can compete with this. When in reality, businesses like that are the exception rather than the rule. Michael Dell, paraphrase him, but um, says that successful business is about execution. It's not about having the most unique idea. It's not about having a million software patents. It's about putting absolutely everything you possibly can into taking care of your business, your coworkers, your customers. And that's how Dell really became successful. I mean, of course, they um, engaged in some supply chain efficiencies and had a lot of innovative elements to their business model. But the idea of building and selling PCs and laptops in and of itself is not that unique. But where they succeeded and where they continue to succeed is based on just executing the heck out of their business and always 
trying to take care of their customers. And if they realize that they're not, they try to go back to the drawing board and figure something else out to take care of them. So that's usually the, the first case study that I like to show entrepreneurs because folks don't usually think of Dell as a successful startup, but that's simply because of the timing of when they came to the marketplace. And I think they're actually one of the best startup success stories because while they were doing some things that were different, they were very subtle. They were not these just outrageous, oh my gosh, I have you know the, the next best thing since sliced bread. It was really, let's put effort into this, let's execute this, and let's be as successful as we can doing something that is just a little few degrees different than what is already out there. So what you're saying, it's not always about creating the new, new thing. Sometimes it's just doing something a little smarter. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that is as simple as there might be, you know, 25 French bistros around town. I don't know how many there are these days, but if you want to be number 26, is there room for you in the market? Well, that's going to only be answered if you execute well. You know, when we think about saturated markets and how and why businesses continue to perpetually enter saturated markets, what they often don't realize is, is that they are trying to execute better than at least one of their neighbors. You know, like the saying that if you're out in the woods and a bear's chasing you, I don't need to be the fastest guy out there. I just need to be faster than one of the people in my group. <laughs> Well, and this is true too. I think another mistake people make is they look at these companies like Facebook or even Dell, who are who are giant companies, and they think, "Oh, if I want to start a business, I have to be able to scale to something really large." When really, there's a lot of extremely successful, wealthy people who are either solopreneurs or, or just have a VA or maybe a couple of employees. I mean, I see it in my world as a speaker. People always come to me and they go, "You've got some really good content. I think you should create a training program, and you could have 20 people working for you, and they could go out to all these companies, and they could train, and they." Could do this. And then I go talk to the people who run the training company and they make a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And it's like, wait a minute, I can do that totally by myself. And they're like, yeah, but you could sell it. But then it turns out most of those companies never sell. And it's like, well, well, wait a minute, why would I want 20 employees and all that headache when that's not my goal? And so uh, I've become very clear of who I am and I'm okay being a small solopreneur as long as I can feed my family and retire. Someone asked me the other day, they said, yeah, but what about the legacy you leave your children? Don't you want to build something worth millions of dollars that you can leave to Jackie and Kate? And I go, oh, I already have a legacy for Jackie and Kate. And, and the person leaned in thinking that I had done something so interesting. And I go, I'm a freaking good dad. I don't have to leave them any money. And, and I've told them that. And they're like, we'd like money too. But, uh, <laughs> but, but they've agreed that, you know, my wife, they, my daughter said this morning, I, I do a deal with my high school junior every Thursday or Friday because I travel a lot. She and I go for coffee before school, just the two of us. And we talk about school and gossip and politics and whatever she wants to talk about for an hour. And we've done this since she was a freshman. And, you know, she said, she goes, this is kind of a cool legacy. She goes, I'll always remember doing this. That is, that's absolutely amazing. I'm so happy to hear that because um, you are embodying exactly what it is that I have to remind entrepreneurs about all the time. And, you know, if we look at the advice for people that want to become entrepreneurs, I can give that threshold advice on the front end. And then you speak to the advice that I often um, give people to think about on the back end, which is what is your definition of success? And I do not want to hear a dollar number because guess what? If you're only in this to pursue dollars, you're never going to win. You're never going to feel success. 
because it is infinite. There is always going to be somebody that has more money than you or has more things than you do. That is not an end unto itself. But what is, is what you just said. Hmm. I'm, I've got my kids taken care of. I'm happy with them. I've got a little six-month-old boy at home right now. And, you know, so many people have said to me, this is like the worst possible time to be an entrepreneur and you've got a million things going on. And how do you have time for this and him on top of that? And my response is so simple. And it's that I've wanted to be a dad for a long time. I love being a dad. I, I love teaching and sharing and, and watching this little guy grow. And at the end of the day, my only goal and my only measure of success was to create a loving and safe and happy household for him where he would learn things that maybe I wasn't exposed to as a kid. We, I, and, and I'm sure you can speak to this. As a parent, a lot of times parents think about doing something better for their kids and the next generation, and they only think about it in terms of material goods, not the actual substance that we can deliver to the next generation. Like I'm sure the conversations you have in your house, being an entrepreneur, speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs, you're passing knowledge on to your family that is just so incredibly valuable because it's going to help them create their legacy and be happy too. Well, I like, to, I like to think so. About money. Well, I, I like to think so. But you know how cute your little kid is right now at six months old? Just how adorable when he lays there and kicks his feet? Enjoy it. Because they grow up and turn on you and go to really expensive colleges. I'm just telling you. As long as they don't grow up and go to Oklahoma, then we're okay. <laughs> well, yeah. No, that was – mine weren't <laughs> even allowed to apply to Oklahoma. So – Uh, so I do this program called the paradox of potential and I go in and I talk to people in all industries really about the gap that exists between potential and results. So as someone who studies entrepreneurship and who is an entrepreneur and who teaches it, why do you think, what's, what's your answer as to why some people fall into the gap and other people go across it and, and, and get all the accolades, but not everybody does. So how come, what's that Delta leadership? It is simply leadership. And this is something that I've learned and seen um, really working with the guys at Abraxas um, more so than anywhere else. And I think that has also a lot to do with the fact that um, they're military veterans and they're, they're combat veterans. So they've seen things and been exposed to things that I have not seen personally. And the leadership and life lessons that they learned and carried with them through their military service really started to shed some light on the difference between the potential to achieve something and the result that we are actually seeking. Now, a little piece of that, of course, is the same hard work element that we've been talking about over and over again. But to really get there from potential to results, to the folks there, and, and I have to um, go with their mindset on this because it's much more simple and much easier to get it. If I had an hour and a half lecture, I'd tell you the whole thing right here, but let's get this wrapped up in a nice little package. It's recognizing the difference between driving profit and driving value. So companies oftentimes that are simply trying to create a profit may be able to make some sales and they always have a lot of potential. Because we see where they're going, we see what they may want to do, they may be very well intentioned, but at the end of the day, results need to be sustainable. If we're going to take care of our families, if we're going to truly achieve those deeper, more substantive goals, we can't just worry about making sure that we hit our sales numbers by the end of the year. We have to make sure instead that we are truly creating value 
for the people that are paying us money for our goods and services, we have to be creating value amongst the, uh, the coworkers and employees that we have. And we must be also returning value above and beyond dollars to the investors that we work with in the entrepreneurial space. And recognizing the word value versus profits, you know, profits is a part of value. Value is much more holistic. And when you recognize what it is that you're actually trying to bring into your own life and what it is that your business is trying to do for other people, that's how you get those results. And it takes a lot of introspection and it takes a lot of thought. And I reached it through, you know, you can hear, I talk a lot. I talk for a living. But the real, you know, to get to the heart of things and being business people and being entrepreneurs, we want shortcuts. So for me, the best shortcut I've ever heard is a quick conversation with other people or in my own head about what is the difference between profit and value. And once I started to really understand that, the bridge between potential and results got a heck of a lot shorter. That's, that's, that's awesome. Hey, I've got a couple of more questions for you before I let you go. But first, I've got to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right training, equipment, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Brad Gold Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Brad, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest entrepreneurial thing you're doing right now? Oh, the coolest thing I'm doing right now is at Abraxas. We are, we're, we're in the digital analytics space for outdoor advertising. So what we are doing is actually providing a solution to a problem that seems so complex that I, I, I talked to over 500 undergraduate students in my classes today about this very problem. No one had a good solution. And we're working on this at Abraxas. And the problem is our concerns with social media and our concerns with certain platforms that are selling us too much advertising. And we've seen over the course of this last year that Facebook and you know the other companies like them have not done everything as well as they could. And that's kind of putting it nicely. And there's a growing number of us that are very concerned over how it is that they are staying afloat, which is really just ad sales. And they are working with advertisers in a way that we are not always aware of. And a lot of consumers are growing very, very uncomfortable with this. So at Abraxas, while the core of our business is to provide return on investment information um, for billboard operators and advertisers and other folks that advertise in the so-called out-of-home space, what it is, you know, again, this is the profit and value conversation. The way we make profit is if we go to a billboard owner, a company like, you know, Lamar or Clear Channel or a local billboard owner and say, hey, we can help provide insight to your advertisers to actually let you know, just like you can do on Facebook, how many people saw this ad, how long they saw it for, and even better, 
to share with them conversion information. Did you see this ad and go into somebody's store? Now, that's how we create profit. But to actually create value, we need to be educating the marketplace. And this is something we've been working on and really enjoying working with folks in the advertising industry that basically for the last decade have been saying, well, if we want to reach people and we want to know how we're reaching people, we have to go the online advertising route. And most advertisers understand the, um, the drawbacks and the weaknesses of going this route, but they've been doing it anyway. And now we're getting to go to them and say, we can provide you with an alternative. It's not to say that online advertising is bad or wrong. It's just that you shouldn't assume that that is going to be the best way to reach consumers. And that assumption was based on the analytics that folks could provide. And now we can do that same thing. So now we can go back and really provide value. And that's choice. That, that, that's awesome. I'm going to go and check Abraxas out. It sounds like you guys do really cool stuff. Thanks. So I ask everyone who comes on the show who it is they admire in the entrepreneurial world, because I think great entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. So when you look out there, who do you say, poof, she or he, they're crushing it? <laughs> um, I absolutely have to mention uh, Preston James, um, who was one of the founders of Div Inc. And uh, um, we all kind of joke, you know, if you somehow, someway put the timeline together in your head of when we were at Div Inc. And now I've got a six month old baby. We joke at home that we have the first Div Inc. baby <laughs> because so much of the love and support um, that we received through the Div Inc. organization, which um, Preston and, and some other people, Dana Callender, Ashley Jennings, um, a whole bunch of other people out there put this together. And it brought so much positivity and love into our household that we don't know exactly when my wife got pregnant, but um, it was sometime after demo day when we were in the Div Inc. program. And so, you know, there, there was just a I lot of love in your household. We'll leave it with that. <laughs> so I, I absolutely look up to them and I'm so excited that I've, I've just been able to become a part of their lives and they've become a wonderful part of, of our lives. And um, I know you also have in the list of questions, you know, what other entrepreneurs are doing cool things out there. There is one thing I'd like to share with you and your listeners, because I actually when I was working in Chicago, I was in the packaging industry for like a decade. And I thought I saw, you know, and I did see a lot of cool innovation there. Um, Roman Gonzalez at Gardenio, which is um, a startup here focused on um, basically home gardening and trying to make it easy and nutritious. Well, he runs into the same problem that most entrepreneurs selling physical goods make, which is that if you want custom boxes and packaging, um, it's expensive to go to a box manufacturer and get your print plates and, you know, all that kind of stuff. He came up with one of the best workarounds I've ever seen to this issue because, you know, print plates and printing boxes, that'll run you a few thousand dollars. He went to a T-shirt screen printing shop and got a screen print made up uh, with his logo and a couple of slogans. And then he ran over to Lowe's or Home Depot and got paint to match his paint color and a roller and now that's how he does his boxes. And it cost him about a hundred bucks and he saved <laughs> thousands and it looks gorgeous and it's awesome. So Roman, if you're listening to this, fantastic. Um, Gardinio doing some interesting stuff, innovation within the world of innovation. Well, it sounds like I need to meet him and have him as a guest on cool things entrepreneurs do. So I'm going to challenge you with making that happen. So I my, will. So, I absolutely will. So my last question that I ask everybody is, I think as entrepreneurs, we have to do more than just 
you know, make money. I think we have, we're, we're charged with some ability to really have a difference in the world. And there's so many different ways that people give back. So my favorite question is to find out what others do to give back to the greater good. So, so what do you do? Well, aside from being a mentor with several entrepreneurial organizations in town where I give my time and whatever expertise I've built up over the years to share with entrepreneurs, the best thing that I feel like we're doing to give back is at our company, Miraland, the company we co-founded that we brought through the Div Inc. program. Where the company started was actually a conversation in the classroom about financial regulations and what it became when I started talking about it with um, my wife and co-founder was a story about how people come to this country from all corners of the world and get started. Because she is from halfway around the world. Her family had to come to this part of the world basically with $500 and what they could carry, you know, a, a classic immigrant type story. And when they got here, they, that was in the late 80s. And it was the time at which community banking actually supported families trying to level up in the world. Whereas today, yeah, there's a couple of banks out there that try to help people. But for the most part, if you don't have a credit score, if you're an immigrant, if you are not a stereotypical nuclear family that has been living here for generations, our financial markets and credit system isn't really designed for you. And so Miraland, we we started And we're currently involved in the Impact Hub Accelerator here in Austin, helping to improve affordability in the city. We have created a bankless peer-to-peer lending system and an alternative credit score system so that people who continue to come here and want to level up and live a good life, like my wife and her family, will actually have an opportunity to do so, as opposed to getting stuck at the banks and predatory lenders that are there to make money for themselves more so than they are to help people. So we're really hoping that we can help promote more dreams and make more entrepreneurs. God, that's that's awesome. Good luck. That's that's I think that's important stuff. Well, Brad, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If people want to find out more about you, maybe they want to find out more about Maryland, maybe they want to find out more about Abraxas Technologies, where where do they go? Where where do people go to find out about you and all that you do? So, um my profile is on the abraxastechnology.com website. Miraland.com doesn't really have much information about us because it's actually a company currently being run and operated by a group of UT students and recent graduates. Um, my LinkedIn profile page, which is um, LinkedIn slash in slash Bradley M. Gold, uh, has pretty much all of the information holistically. Uh, also, the Herb Kelleher Center for Entrepreneurship here at the University of Texas. I have a profile page posted there because I am one of the entrepreneurs in residence here on campus at UT. So those are all the ways that people can find me and get to know me a little more. Bradley M. Gold on LinkedIn is uh, probably the easiest for most people to go, and uh, you can go from whichever of those sounds best to you. So again, Brad, thank you so much for being a guest here on the show. Tom, thank you. This has been a great time. I appreciate you and your listeners. You have a wonderful day and get out there and hook them. (laughs) So I say at every show, if it wasn't for the listeners, why would we do this? There wouldn't be a show. So thank you for tuning in. If you like the show, jump over to iTunes or wherever you listen and leave a review and tell your friends. When I talk to a new listener who reaches out to me and says, I love your podcast, I say, how did you find it? And they tell me a coworker or a friend or my dad or somebody told me about the show. And so that's the number one way people find me. And so I would love it if you would 
would go out and tell others. Uh, if you want to find out information about me, you can go to TomSinger.com. Uh, the last few episodes, I've been talking heavily about the TED Talk that I did, The Art of Giving Small. Uh, I would love it if you'd help share that. Go to TomSinger.com slash TEDx. And uh, you can see that on that page. And then uh, beyond that, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Brad. I know you're thinking, what? How will you ever do that? But we will, because we always do. But in the meantime, I challenge you, go out there and try something new for yourself. And while you're doing that, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.